I did not put a, I meant to put a definition in your syllabus or in the introductory pages. I did not. I've added it here. Eschatology, the log, it's a compound of two Greek words. The eschatos means and final things. That term occurs uh, 54 times in the Greek New Testament in about 40, what, 49, 48, 49 verses <coughs> in varied forms. And I just looked at, let's see, that's a modifier. I just looked at the modifier. I don't know about various other forms. But it's a word that is very, very common to the Greek New Testament. And so at the top of the page, Grace Bible Institute syllabus, eschatology, things to come, really um, last things. And I think that's what Courtney, the way Courtney referenced it Sunday when he, when he gave the advisory that we'd be beginning the, the new quarter today. The course is a targeted approach to the study of future things as contemplated in Scripture by the grace believer. And then you have some course objectives there. We'll make, I, I may not read this through, but I will proceed through it to make sure that the salient or the relative information, relevant information is, is clear. Course objectives. Upon completion of the course, a student will be able to approach the Scripture with confidence that God the Spirit will teach you. Distinguish among major people groups identified in Scripture, specifically the Jews, the Gentiles, the Church of God. If you have a pen and you want to write a reference here, go ahead and put in here 1 Corinthians 10.32. We will be dealing with this a little bit later on this evening. But 1 Corinthians 10.32, the Church, the Jews... The Gentiles, the Church of God. There are some very specific things to keep in mind. First of all, to to uh, observe definitively, and once that's done, to be consistent with that observation. Consistency is going to be necessary in systemizing systematizing any conclusions, any observations you make from Scripture. You don't just throw them out on a piece of paper and then expect to go back and synthesize them neatly. You can't just throw stuff in a warehouse and expect to find it. You can't throw stuff in two storage sheds in Salem, Oregon, and then go back with time limitations and expect to find certain things. Why didn't you bring this back? Well, sweetie pie, I didn't know what storage shed it was in, didn't know how deep it was. You know, okay, so take a lesson. <coughs> Distinguish among major people groups, the Jews, the Gentiles, the Church of God. That is a distinction, a definitive distinction that Scripture makes. We ought to observe it and use it. It's meant for our benefit. It's definitive. It's not complicated. Understanding it, applying it consistently may involve some complication. That may involve some additional work, but the Scripture says the Jews, the Gentiles, the Church of God. Doesn't confuse them. Number three, identify by supportive scripture the major prophetic events involving these three groups that we've enumerated. The Jews, the Gentiles, the Church of God. What are the future things, as we are in the last times, for these three groups? And by the way, 
Where do you fit? Identify by support of scripture the major prophetic events involving these groups. This is a course um, objective. And arrange them in a chronological sequence. Any idea what that means? Identify the major events and arrange them in a chronological sequence. Course objective. So, whoa. So, young man, Troy, <laughs> when you are done with this, you ought to have some ability to take a blank piece of paper and sketch this out. You will all do this, you'll, and you'll do it with confidence. Not that difficult. Um, but you will develop confidence in your ability to do this as the course develops. Have a settled confidence about where the student fits in the biblical prophetic narrative. So, I'm going to pick on Troy. Troy, you got any Jewish blood in you that you know of, that you're willing to admit? Anybody in the room? 1%? Okay. Are you a Jew or are you a Gentile? Are you a Gentile? Yeah. Where, as such, Church of God or not? As far as you know, Church of God, right? Right. right. Okay. If Kevin was full-blown Hebrew, which group does he fit in? Jews, Gentiles, Church of God? Fair question. Jewish Christians, which group do they fit in? Anybody have an opinion? A Jew that's a believer. Equip me in Jews? Is he right? One new man? You've been paying attention to something. I hope it's all right. That's your daughter. Is she right? Sound pretty good so far. Yeah, th those are fair questions, and believe it or not, there are people who, who are not able to answer that correctly tonight. If you are a Jew, but you have become a believer in Jesus Christ, you believe the facts of the gospel, 1 Corinthians 15, as you indicated, he, how that he died for our sin, he was buried, he rose again the third day, and he, was, he ascended, essentially. Still a Jew? Kevin says you belong to the church of God, and so say you. Well, I would tend to agree with you, based on Scripture. But we're going to discuss that. We're going to, we're going to contemplate that, analyze it, give you some confidence in Scripture. Did you give up anything? I have a friend, I haven't talked to him in years, but who really chafes that we say that a New Testament saint is no longer a Jew, ir irrespective of their ethnic makeup. Just think of everything they're doing without. Well, what are they doing without? Anybody be going to Hebrews, uh, what, 11? Hebrews 11, there are mouths. The end of Hebrews 11? Better things? The word better occurs 12 times in the book of Hebrews. As a saint, as a New Testament saint, there are better things. You're not losing anything. Anyway, the Jews and Gentiles of the Church of God, where do you fit? Can you arrange 
the events involving these three groups in a chronology, a simple chronology. And by the way, if you ever go to Bible school, I mean, you're going to get it here, but if you're ever in Bible school and you take a course on, you had to do that, right? Final with Dave. I mean, I can't imagine. If you, when you study eschatology as a segment of systematic theology, you will do this in a final exam. And it'll probably be more comprehensive than this. But we're going to give you your money's worth. We're going to try to. And number five is a course objective. Experience the specific benefits promised to those who obediently study biblical prophecy. What benefits? Just name one. What would one be? Can you think of one offhand? Huh? Knowledge of the future? Not bad. Can you think of one and give me a scriptural reference for it? What's that? <laughs> I put references down there, but I didn't spell it out. Are people studying prophecy today? Do you think? Some churches specialize in it. It's about all they do. <clears throat> Seems to be. But are people studying it? People in the pews, are they studying it? They're going to the services. You want to get people to pack the pews? Oh, we're going to be answering prophetic questions. Boom! They will pack it out. <coughs> they want to know answers. When was the last time you made a suggestion that someone pick up and read the book of Revelation in the King James Version, for example, New King James, even New American Standard. When was the last time you recommended somebody do that and they did it? Do you remember? No? What do you tend to get in response? Have you recommended that? And, huh? What would be a blank? You or the person that you said that to? So, so tell us about it. So, so what's the response? Oh, I'm not. Uh, <laughs> I read, I like the Psalms. I like the Proverbs. Why not Revelation? Why? Why? It's it's really confusing. There's a lot of symbolism in it. Oh. Uh, it, it's heavy interpretive analysis. I don't know if I'm skilled. Uh, Troy, you got your Bible handy? Um, Revelation chapter 1, verse 3. Go there and read that for us, if you would, please. And somebody else find Titus 2, verse 11. Uh, let's see. I'll read this. But Troy, Revelation 1, verse 3. Listen carefully. Blessed is he that readeth. Hang on. Someone's about to get blessed. We're going to look at that word a little bit. But someone's about to get blessed, whatever that might mean. A lot of money, good looks, new house, new car. We'll look and see what that means. Someone's about to get blessed for... Go ahead. Uh, and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. Okay, someone's about to get blessed from reading, studying the book, this prophetic discourse. Oh, but it's too difficult. It's very confusing. I started it one time, and I just I couldn't I, I just couldn't get into it. I love the Psalms, I love the Proverbs. Oh, I love John fourteen, and I read the Pauline epistles now and again. But Revelation, I you know I'd rather Kevin would teach us that 
The blessing isn't for Kevin. The blessing is for you if you will give attention to this discourse. So, why would we not do it? I'll bet most of them don't even know that. They don't even know there's a blessing promised to one who studies it. Titus 2, verses 11 through 13. <coughs> for the salvation-bringing grace of God hath appeared to all men. And where you put the to all men is a matter of debate. I don't. I think it's a secondary issue here. I like for the salvation-bringing grace of God to all men hath appeared. But that comes from exhaustive diagramming, and people would differ with me. Verse 12, teaching us, and by the way, that word for teaching there is paiduo, it's the child training term. Teaching us that saying no to ungodliness and worldly intense desires, we should live soberly, savingly, righteously, and godly in this present, not world, but age. Look at verse 13. Expecting to welcome. This is waiting expectantly. Expecting to welcome that blessed. Now you recall Troy read blessed in Revelation chapter 1 verse 3. Blessed is the one same word. Any idea what? We're not going to ask Kevin because he knows, but we give some of the rest of you a chance. There are two principal ways that the term blessed is translated in the New Testament. Two terms. And it's a bit confusing. But you can make notations in your Bible. That's okay to do. Use pencil. You can erase them if you want. The the word for blessed here is someone about to get blessed. Expectantly waiting for the soon appearing of well, you got three Granville Sharps here, all emphasizing the deity of Christ or some activity of Christ. And if you are looking for that with expectancy, you're the object of the Lord's blessing. And blessing here means, Lynn, you want to take a crack at this? Do you remember? Do you remember this issue with blessing? It translates the idea of well spoken in Ephesians chapter one, verse three. Well spoken, the Lord has blessed you in your position in Christ. God the Father has spoken good pronouncements. Eulogy, eulogeo. He's made good pronouncements over you. Had a hard day today? Had a bad day? Not as far as the Godhead is concerned. Every good thing has been said about you already, irrespective of how your day goes. This word, translated blessing, is a different idea. I wish there was some way to distinguish it. They haven't helped us. It is the word for happy. God is a happy God, 1 Timothy chapter 1. And it's related to his intrinsic goodness. What is the happiness related to here? You're smiling, Michael. <laughs> You're, are you happy to be expectantly waiting? For the soon appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. That's it. You got reason to grin. You got reason to grin from ear to ear. Study of prophecy motivates godly living. 1 John 3, verses 1 through 3. You find the verse. I think it's, it's 2 or 3. I think it's 3. 
motivates godly living. And it also makes you happy. Why do we study prophecy? Why do we study future things? First place, God wants us to. It provokes obedience. And it jacks you up. Can I say that? Is that okay? It really jacks you up. Do you look at the news tonight? Maybe stormtroopers crossing the bridge into Titusville before we're done here. I hope not, but there are some places in the world. People are dying. And some of those people know this scripture. Let's pray for them. Remember to pray for them. One of the course objectives is that you understand these two things. First of all, it promotes godly living. And secondly, it's, it's for your grins. Time will be provided at the end of each class for questions and comments. I don't have a good track record doing that, but you guys are going to help me. Grace, but... Well, did someone say something funny? <laughs> Sound like a bunch of turkeys gobbling. Grace Bible Institute will provide the resources for the class. All syllabi, all required. We're not hard to please on that. I mean, this is these classes, are you're not paying for them. But... We will provide all your study material. I'm going to suggest some collateral material for you. And I'm going, I, I've given you a selected bibliography at the end here because... Well, just because. Good for you to have. Um, there are some excellent sources. Now, having said that, nothing takes the place of the Word of God and your careful diligence with the promise... That if you are doing this obediently, God the Spirit is going to teach you. And that's one of the course objectives. That you develop that confidence. I think that's number one. We're going to provide the class notes and the syllabi. We're going to test you twice. I did not bring the exam tonight. My oversight, I will put it online. Um, Probably as early as tomorrow morning. I don't think I can get it done tonight. But as early as tomorrow morning, it will be online in the note section of the Bible Institute tab. <clears throat> Secondary collateral reference material may be commended or recommended by the instructor. Now, <clears throat> you can look at the selected bibliography. I've given you qualifying comments about each entry there, and there are about six of them. This book by J. Dwight Pentecost is no substitute for your Bible. It is not a place for you to go if you're lazy about the study of Scripture and get bottom line answers. In the first place, you need to be in a position to make a judgment. Does what Pentecost has published square with what Scripture says? It's a very valuable, very reliable, single volume reference material, reference source. There's nothing else like it. But saint, you go to the Word first. Go to the Word first. <clears throat> this I would recommend to anyone. Some of those that I've included in the back there, I would not necessarily, and some of the source sites I'm, I've made in the notes here, I wouldn't necessarily recommend. Bernard Ram, R-A-M-M, made a lot of uh, very good uh, contributions to the study of biblical interpretation and the way we approach scripture some of his conclusions with respect to his observations his method is good 
Some of the things he concluded I wouldn't necessarily agree with. But where I've referenced him, um, he's reliable. <coughs> I use the name Oswald T. Alice. Oswald T. Alice has been with the Lord for a long time. Uh, I'm pretty sure. And if any reformers are listening to me, they're probably gasping. He is. Uh, I don't have any doubt that he was a believer. He didn't understand. He didn't have a good take on biblical prophecy. He was the one, he was the guy with a big target on his back. Uh, back in my dad's day, early 1900s, early mid-1900s. Dr. Schaefer's day. Now it would be guys like uh, Hukuma, Anthony Hukuma. Uh, he's considered kind of like the the dean of Bible students among the Reformed. If anybody wants a detailed answer on prophecy, they talk to Anthony Hukuma, and he will confuse them because he doesn't believe in a literal approach to scripture. <coughs> okay, two exams, one to begin, uh, and then one at the end, and these are for your use. Um, you want to have a reference point against which to measure your progress. And uh, if you haven't figured it out by now, um, Kevin, you give the same exam front and back, right? I have so far. I don't know if Courtney did, but I presume. There's no reason not to. Uh, that's very common at the college level, by the way. Let's see where you are. And that's, that's, that's an educational tool. <coughs> and then unscheduled, unscheduled quizzes may be given at discretion of the instructor. I don't think we've done that so far, but we could. I mean, nobody would be afraid of that. It's kind of fun, just a pop quiz. How well did I do last week? That kind of thing. Um, all existing ministries of Grace Bible Institute, Titusville, operate from the contributions of students led by the Holy Spirit to contribute. We're not asking you for money. Someone's got to pay the heat and lights. If you think this is worth a small monetary contribution, you make it as the Spirit leads. That's, that's not going to be a distraction to anybody. <coughs> okay, some introductory matters. The word eschatology, and I don't have this part of it in your notes. I should have put this in and I overlooked it. The word eschatology arises from the Greek word eschatos, Strong's number 2078, G2078. Why do we do that? Strong's is one of the best and most extensive numbering systems for Bible study. He gives a number to every Greek and Hebrew entry in the scripture. And many uh, lexical tools and, and other tools... Um, the Strong's had nothing to do with we'll also use Strong's numbers if you have eSword and by the way eSword has just become available on what did I say Android Lynn just become available on Android so if you got an Android phone or an Android tablet you could use a you could have used a scaled back version up till now which was kind of stodgy but they've just come out with, with eSword for Android for like Samsung tablets and all the Android tablets so G2078. That's eschatos. Now, there's no other reference in these first five pages to eschatos. But if you want to look at it, there it is. Um, eschatos in Jude 118. Uh, I'm picking this up out of context. How that they told you there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lust. Last there is our term eschatos. 
Then in Revelation 1.11, I am the first and the last. I am the Alpha and the Omega. Jesus said to John, personal testimony, I am the first and the last. Last? Eschatos. 2078. It has a range of meaning, but it's well suited to its use in this context. Last things. Eschatology. <coughs> By the way, he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. In Revelation chapter 1, do you know, are you confident, are you settled that that is tantamount to him claiming deity? He's using appellatives, names, that only designate Godhood. Alpha and Omega. Jesus is saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega. You can find Old Testament references where the person, Jehovah, in the text is identified as either the Alpha or the Omega. In some cases, that may be God the Son. Why don't certain cultic groups get that? It's right in their English Bibles. And by the way, it's right in their Greek New Testaments. Anyway, moving on. <clears throat> that is an assertion of deity by the Son. It is plain and unvarnished. It's unfettered. Proper interpretation. The faculty members of Grace Bible Institute dedicated to a proper hermeneutic in teaching the curriculum of the Institute. Now, biblical interpretation is one of the heaviest classes that any Bible college student will face or any seminarian. Everybody's got an opinion about what you need to do and about which you need to discipline your efforts if you're going to come up with valid conclusions concerning Scripture. This is something that will not be tedious for us here, but I'm going to mention it. Interpretation is critical on the front end of things when you're approaching biblical prophecy. <clears throat> As concerns this matter of biblical study, <clears throat> there are essentially two major schools. Within them, there are variation, but essentially two major schools of thought. One, we're going to call, and your, your syllabus will, will help you, the allegorical school. Allegory. You can go home and look in the dictionary and find out what allegory means. You can look that up. I'm not, I, we don't need to spend time on it here. It has a peculiar meaning with respect to this study. Its use in Bible study has a very peculiar, little bit of a peculiar meaning, and you need to understand it. As opposed to that, there is what we will call, for lack, I mean, lack of necessity of a better term, the literal method. Now be careful. Because if you do very much reading in this, the allegorists will say the literalists are woodenly literal. They're rigidly literal. And the allegorists will call themselves the literalists. Confusing. You need to be oriented, properly oriented to the issue and to these terms. Here's another matter. <clears throat> this dichotomy in interpretive analysis, interpretive approach, applies most specifically to this study, the study of 
last things, biblical prophecy, the study of last things according to Scripture. When you get into messianic study, oh, I'm a literalist. You're chuckling. You know exactly where we're going. There, is, there are major big denominations that will stand shoulder to shoulder with you defending the literal prophecies concerning the first advent of Christ. And if you tweak them by one iota, one half syllable, they're going to be on your neck like a cat on a June bug. But they do not believe that prophecy can be approached literally. They believe that allegorical... You go home and look at your dictionary and see what qualifies as an allegory. I'm going to give you a, a sort of a... I probably just should have read this. The faculty member... Okay, proper hermeneutic includes a literal... No guesswork as to who we are. We are literalists. And if you forget everything I say here, that can be easily conflated or reduced to this. You open the page of your Bible and pick a verse, any verse, and look at what it says literally, if it's a good translation. And here's the first question you should ask yourself. If I took this literally... At a minimum, what would it have to mean? Now, you may have some additional questions. Well, I picked this up in the middle of the context. I don't know who he's talking to, and the circumstances under which I find myself may not be the same as the one. You don't want to. You don't want to go down and do likewise. Jude, Judas went out and hanged himself. Go down and do likewise. Let's don't be silly. But if the text says. Literally, I mean, if the, if the plain reading of the text tells you something, you need to ask yourself, if I brought no presumptions to this, other than the fact I'm a believer and I know my standing in Christ, what is it saying to me at a minimum? What would it have to say at a minimum if I believed everything here was literal? There is a major segment a professing evangelical Christendom that does not believe you can approach, now listen, future prophetic events that way. Why not? Well, it's just... I haven't heard any of them say this, but really very plainly, this is, this is the, the essence of it. Well, that's just that's 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 just that's just too neat. That's just too cute. I I I, I just I just, I just don't. That's just like uh, yeah. Were you wondering about all that with the messianic prophecies before the the second person of deity stepped into time and took unto himself a human nature? 
Because those same people would tell you that you must approach messianic prophecy literally. Oh, but not... I mean, you really you can't approach future prophecy that same way. We would ask, why not? Language <clears throat> was created, was inaugurated by God for the creature to communicate with the Creator. He's not interested, for our purposes here, in your flowery excellence. He's not going to vote for you after you give a speech running for city council because you gave such a compelling speech. It is... it. The language of Scripture is there to communicate content. It is not meant to tie you up so that you will not read the book of Revelation because it's too complicated. I submit to you folks that the allegorical method has suppressed certain study of certain doctrines in Scripture. Well, I, you know, I, I, I just, I, I, I call the pastor, call the priest. I mean, let's, God bless him, I hope, the bush is called Billy Graham one time, one night, had a number, I don't have it on myself, I mean, don't have it anymore, but, I mean, never did, well, no, if everybody that didn't believe the gospel was going to hell, apparently they had themselves a little tip going on, and they said, call Billy, well, I wonder if they had any Bibles handy. Would they have known how to make the case from Scripture? Here's the point. We, we, we will defend, and it is going to be axiomatic. We're not going to argue about this. We are literalists here. We are literalists. I've given you a bunch of stuff here. You can read it. I've quoted, uh, I've, I've taken some Bernard Ram quotes. I've taken some stuff from, I took some stuff from Got Questions, an internet question site. By the way, I do not recommend it broadly. But it will at least help you to have a jumping off point. It gives popular... Some of it's good, some of it's not. On this issue, it was helpful. Just to kind of establish a watermark. Um, let me move on here quickly. The study is biblical by definition. We will not contemplate predictive prognostication from extra-biblical sources. That's not an attempt to be eloquent. We are not going to contemplate what... Who, who was the lady that every time her predictions came out... It wasn't Nancy Dickerson. She was a news lady. Who was it? Do you remember? This is back in when we were kids. Do you remember? We're not going to test Joel Osteen. We're not going to test whoever else claims to be a prophet. And by the way, the church does not have prophets today. That'll be another subject for another study. But we don't have prophets today. <clears throat> not in the sense of predictive, and I, I'm always guarded with that word. Biblical prophecy is not simply, not merely predictive. This is not guesswork. It's not educated guesswork. It is the Word of God. If the revelation... If the content of Revelation, upon which the curtain is drawn back, that's the word apocalypse, drawing the curtain back, drawing the veil back, 
If the content concerns the future, it is scripture. It originated with God. It came out from God. It has its authority. It takes its authority from God. We are not, this class is not for the purpose of defending that. We are going to be axiomatic about this. Our source, our primary source will be the scripture. We are literalists, which means we are going to look at things in a, I wish, I wish, not Dolores, I wish Darlene was here, or Courtney. How old's Adeline? Okay. Joyce, I'm going to ask you. In Exodus 14, and again in Exodus 15, you have it various other places. The Lord moved the waters, parted the waters, you know the narrative, so that the, the Israelites could pass on dry land. Scripture says, when Miriam, the song of Moses, when they were rejoicing... In the lyrics to that, you've got it in Exodus 15. You've also got it in Psalm somewhere 90, I think, thereabouts. He parted the waters with a blast out of his nostrils. Let me ask you a question. How long do you think it would take for you to explain to Adeline that that wasn't really the Lord's nose moving that water? Does she know the story? Probably. Suppose it was a mighty wind. Suppose he used wind. And you'd find that support in the scripture. They sang by a blast out of your nostril. You think it would take you years to make Adeline understand that? Adeline's different. <laughs> You're not helping me. <laughs> you should have told it. I never told do you think, how long do you think it would take uh, to get Jenna to understand that? That, well, no, the Lord doesn't have a nose, but people, that's not rocket science. This is an anthropomorphism, and yes, it is symbolic, or, or uh, really what I should say is figurative. Can we be literalists and be figurative? Can we? John chapter 7. He, the word for cried there is a harsh, loud. He cried out and said, he made a predictive prophecy concerning the coming of God the Spirit. And he said, out of the individual's belly shall flow rivers of water. Figurative language? Symbolic? Literal? Can you be literal with something that is figurative? I submit to you that you can. Those of you who have studied literature know this. <coughs> Ryrie in his book entitled Dispensationalism Today makes this good point. It's a very simple point and, and I think it's profound. It's a very good point. <coughs> Suppose someone said, suppose I said to Kevin, well, I, I went down there and I talked to him and I, I, I submitted a proposition to him and, or Kevin was saying this to me, and, and he acted like he might be thinking about doing it. 
trying to get some persuade somebody to do something which he ought to do against which he's been de- against which he's been opposed for a long time and Kevin says well you know I'm I'm willing to believe that he might do it what if I said to him yeah when pigs can fly do pigs fly no how do you know Because you have a very well-informed, settled reference point for pigs. And they don't fly. That may be figurative language as a part of an idiom that most of us know. Pigs can fly. In other words, never. Against which the thing you measure that against which uh, against is the literal sense of it. Pigs don't fly. He means no. Yeah, when I see pink tractors in, in formation in the stratosphere, in other words, never. <clears throat> the allegorist is determined to impose a... One guy I was consulting said, it's really regrettable that this is used... Literal versus spiritual. That's too bad those are set in contradistinction to each other. The allegus will, will try to impose a, an extra meaning which really has got to change the, the meaning of the literal language. Now, I want you to remember that. Read this. Read through this. I'm kind of straight a little bit. I'm looking at the clock. Just because it is literal does not mean it's spiritual. And just you calling it spiritual doesn't make it right. The allegorist will impose a quote, end quote, mistakenly, spiritual, oh, it can't mean this. Here's what it really means. Um, Let me jump down here. Luke chapter 10 I've got a note in here. There was a time when the plain sense of Scripture was deemed... Listen to this. There was a time when the plain sense of Scripture was deemed critical to restoring confidence in the understanding of such essential doctrines as those pertaining to salvation. You know when that was? That was the Reformation. They had to get back to literalness to teach salvation from Scripture. Would to God that they had included prophecy in that. Uh, Allegorical interpretation looks for a deeper spiritual meaning within the text. I've enlarged some of this text. I thought it was more important. Um, Song of Solomon is oftentimes interpreted allegorically. There's an illustration here of C.S. Schofield's allegory based on Genesis 1.16, which I would not support. Uh, Schofield was wrong. Um, I believe M.R. D. Hahn was wrong in the illustration I've given you, although I would recommend both of those guys. Um, perhaps the most famous instance of allegorical interpretation is Origen's explanation of the parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10. In the allegorical view, the Good Samaritan, you all generally familiar with it? Okay. In the allegorical view advanced by Origen, the man who is robbed is Adam. Well, this is the spiritual sense of the, the parable. This is what it really means. This is Adam 
Jerusalem is paradise. So he's on his way to paradise. John Bunyan, Pilgrim's Progress-esque. Fun child story. Total full-blown allegorical. The man who was robbed is Adam. Jerusalem is paradise. Jericho is the world. The priest is the law. The Levites are the prophets. The Samaritan is Christ. Why do you have to foist that upon this parable? That's absolutely fanciful. And here's, a, here's probably a place to close, and I'll pick this up next week. Um, the major, I think two major problems with allegorical view of Scripture, particularly as it concerns prophecy. One, there is no check. Troy, if I tell you something categorically, Scripture teaches, I know what you're going to do. If you can't find it, you're going to get frustrated. You're going to pull out a concordance. You may eventually call him. I don't want Dan to know, but or vice versa. I don't know. But where, where, what, where did he get that? Because I can't find it. You don't want to know. And suppose I point you to a reference, and you look at it and you say, "Well, wow, I've admired Dan for whatever reason, but I just can't make that verse say this. What am I overlooking?" Do you know one of the things that the seminary announced years ago? I mean, it's in the early dispensational briefs, a paper that Dave Furbeck wrote. He said, the student, the seminary student is, is becoming trained so that he can critique the experts. I have a responsibility to do my work when I get up here. So does he. And so does his son, and so does Don, and so does everyone else who teaches here. Do my homework. And not just quote to you what somebody else says and make that my opinion. The other thing that the allegorical method approach does is it stops people from studying Scripture. There was a major group in evangelical Christianity, in nominal Christianity, I will say. Many of whose members do not study Scripture. Because they do not think they can understand it. You know who's got to you know who's got to give them answers? In many cases, apologies to those listening, personal friends of mine who don't fall in this category. The priest has got to answer for them. I, I don't. I, I don't. I, I need to go ask my priest. Do you know you're a priest? If you believe the gospel, the facts of the gospel, First Corinthians 15, how that Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, died for sin, he was buried, he rose again. Seated at the right hand, right now. You're a priest. You are qualified to minister to God Most High. And you are qualified to be taught by God the Holy Spirit. So says 1 John chapter 2, verse 21 and verse 27. And elsewhere. You cannot be taught from Scripture if your Bible is closed. 